Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I just kept my head in the game, knowing it was not over. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and as always you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We've got games. We've got NBA weirdness to talk about. It was a very, very strange day in the NBA. So let's get to it. We're going to talk about all of Wednesday's action, including the action that wasn't, and then preview Thursday's six games as well. We'll start off with the game that, that wasn't there. The uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Sacramento Kings, we were, we were getting excited because the news was that Joel Embiid's minutes restriction had been upped to 28 minutes. So there was uh, there were metaphorical fantasy basketball boners all across the world, maybe just real basketball boners as well, because we were going to see more Embiid. We we're going to see him take on Boogie Cousins until the court, as um, as who as Garrett Temple put it, felt like it had been wiped down with cooked bacon. I don't think that's probably a good thing for the court to have it so slippery. There was moisture on it. They dried that up, but then there was this weird, slimy film. In the end, the game was postponed for about half an hour, and then uh, they decided, which we had leaks of about 20 minutes beforehand, that the game was going to be cancelled and rescheduled at a later date, but it just refused to become official. We had conflicting reports coming out from the various beat reporters from either team. But eventually the game was postponed and we're likely going to see it at some point after the All-Star break. So we have to wait until uh, Boogie can travel to Philadelphia back for that game later in February. It looks like it's going to be some um, differing opinions on uh, on DFS sites. We had FanDuel say that, you know, that the the games were going to count. So not, yeah, they're going to count. Now, if the game was to be replayed on Thursday, then those scores would count. Um, otherwise, the players would get zero. The game is not going to be played on Thursday. So on on the uh, on the American sites, FanDuel and DraftKings, you got zeros for any Philadelphia and Sacramento player you had in your lineups. Now in my lineups, I had a lot of I had Embiid and I had a lot of Demarcus Cousins. As soon as there was any doubt of this game, I took them out and I just said, you know what? I know that Embiid's a good value play. I know that Cousins is a real chance to go off here. The other guys you could throw in there, Spanish Chocolate, Rudy Gay, some of these other players, you know, Bob Carver's a tournament option. There were there were guys that you could use here. But as soon as I heard this, oh, it's 50-50, the game might not go ahead, they were out of my lineups. The Australian sites took a different tact. Moneyball um, just said that all contests that included this game were cancelled, which pissed me off no end because I obviously had lineups in there that didn't have these players in there, in and I had Carl Towns in my lineup as well. I, I replaced, um, I think, who did I have? I think I had, uh, I think I had Boogie 
I didn't know I had Embiid over on Moneyball, and I changed it for Towns, and he dropped like 50 points in the first quarter, it felt like. So I was, uh, I was pretty happy there until they said no. And well, the game's postponed. We're cancelling all contests. Over on Draft Stars, what they did is any any um, lineup that had any Kings or Philadelphia Sixers players in it, that sounds awkward, Philadelphia Sixers, any Philadelphia 76ers players in it, they refunded that person's money and took them out of the contest, whereas the rest of the contest still run. And I was pretty happy with that as well because I uh, I came in with a very very nice finish in the in the GPP and all the and the double ups over there. So it was a weird day in DFS. But when, whenever you hear that sort of information, I, I tend to side with what the US sites did. It's a little bit different, but it, but it is similar to say a, a coach does a last minute scratch. Um, we knew that there was a significant risk this game wasn't going ahead. And if you're not paying attention to that, then you were going to lose. The same as if you're not paying attention to, hey. What if the Spurs sit five guys? Then you're going to lose anyway. You have to be paying attention to news. And when there was a doubt there, I took them out. Now, it could have been an edge in your favor if so many people like myself took those players out and then you left them in and then Embiid or or Cousins or Gay went off and you had a real advantage in that situation. But when that risk is there, I just treated it as if everyone in that game was questionable. So I took them all out of my lineups, and I liked the way that the the sites were done in the US. And I know people saying, oh, look, we said it. We didn't keep up with the news, but... You know, in order to, to be not profitable, but to, to be successful at it, I think you need to be somewhat keeping up with the news. Because, you, again, you could have had three blokes pull out last minute, and if you're not keeping up with the news, you would have lost then anyway. But I, I understand the uh, Moneyball claims it was a, a legal thing to do with their terms and conditions, so I, I don't 100% know what the story is, but that's the way it all panned out. We didn't get the game, but we did have nine others, and we did have a monstrous line of the night. And that monstrous line of the night, of course, is Carl Anthony Towns, who had 47 points. He had 18 rebounds. He had two assists. He had a steal. He had three blocks. He was 15 of 22 from the field. He was um, 17 of 20 from the free throw line. And I talked about him uh, maybe yesterday's show or the day before, saying he hadn't quite lived up, lived up to the, the big second-year leap that we were, we were hoping for. And um, this is obviously a huge performance, a career best performance. And over his last four, he's averaging 27 and 12 with one and a half steals and one and a half blocks. Still not quite where we wanted him to be. He's shooting six over this last four games, 6% less than what he was doing last season from the field. So that's a little bit of a worry and only the 22% from three over this stretch. But, but overall, he's going to come close to returning first round value when the season is, uh, is done and dusted. I did stress many times in the in the preseason that expecting that where we the people were expecting and say this is a guarantee he is taking this step forward and he is becoming this top five guy and I said look maybe he doesn't maybe there's a small chance he doesn't and, and he is still looking good he's still awesome and there's, there's no issues there whatsoever but he just hasn't taken that minute step forward to move him from a guy that might be 12th to a guy that might be fifth um but still yeah, if you picked him at five, I don't think you're you've cost yourself. I don't think you've killed yourself in, in season long. It's when you take a guy at five and he ends up at thirtieth, then it's a problem. If you take him at five and he ends up at ten, it's not it's not as big of a deal. And we did stress this in the off season as well. These guys between five and thirteen were basically the same player anyway in terms of their overall value. Now, how you build a team obviously differs, but in terms of who you'd pick there, you could throw all those guys up in the air and grab one of them, Whiteside, Cousins, Paul, um, Leonard, Towns, Davis, and, and you'd be happy with the result. Giannis, obviously, if you grabbed Davis or Giannis, you're extra happy with that now, but at that point, they were all pretty similar. So Carl Towns gets our uh, monstrous line of the night. We go on to the waiver wire line of the night, 
Wayne Ellington. Yeah, Wayne Ellington. The Heat ran out the a very, very weird lineup. They already had issues with uh, with injuries. Obviously, Justice Winslow out. Dion Waiters out for the next two weeks. And then in pregame, we heard that uh, Joshie Richardson is dealing with an ankle problem. And that ended up keeping him out of the game. They said, oh, no, it's all right. He's going to try and play. Well, he didn't try and play. They made, made it say, okay, well, he, he's there, but he's, he's not going to be inactive, but he won't play. And now he's being ruled out of the rest of their road trip, which is another two games for Joshie Richardson with that ankle problem. All this is a roundabout way of me saying that Wayne Allington was the waiver wire line of the night. He stepped up in his second game for the season, played 30 minutes, 22 points, five triples, two rebounds, two assists, four steals, and eight of 14 shooting and hit one of his two free throws. But what do we do with, with Allington moving forward? Is this um, indicative of anything you know, great that he's going to be doing moving forward? Well, no, because when Winslow comes back, when Waiters comes back, when Richardson comes back, these are three guys who are going to be cutting into Allington's minutes. For the next two games, when we are going to be without Winslow and we are going to be without Joshie Richardson and Dion Waiters, then, yeah, Allington is definitely worth a short-term at. The Heat play on Thursday when not many teams do. So you can add Allington. I wouldn't be expecting him to shoot the 52% he shot this season to get the steals that he got in this game. What he is is a three-point bomber. We've seen it in his time with the Lakers. We've seen it in his time with the Nets last season that he'll have these games, that he'll go out there and he'll do it and he'll put up big numbers occasionally and then he disappears and and does not a lot. Even look at the end of last season, he had a three-game stretch for Brooklyn where he had 10 points, including two threes, then 14 with four threes, then 21 with five threes, and the next game he had zero points in 25 minutes, one less minute, and then he had five points in 24 minutes. Then he had five points, and this is just what he does. He puts strings of games together and then goes missing for strings of games. He did it Again, at Christmas, he had a 26-point game with with seven triples. On either side of that, a six-pointer and a nine-pointer. This is what Allington does. So, sure, six games on on Thursday, you might want to go and add him in. The role is going to be there because, man, they just don't have anything happening in the backcourt on the wings. So he's going to have this opportunity to play 30 minutes. But, you know, I wouldn't be expecting the, the sort of shooting we've seen, the defensive numbers we've seen as a consistent thing from, uh, from Wayno. So... Good, good uh, performance from Allington, but nothing that's really all that uh, long-term sustainable. The guys on Locked on Heat will have plenty to say about Wayne Allington. That's part of the Locked on Podcast Network, as this podcast is as well. We've got a podcast for your team every day. Go and listen to Wes Goldberg and David Ramil over on Locked on Heat. They'll break down the huge performance from the Heat today against the Nuggets, the performance of Allington guys like James Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Dragic, Whiteside, the the change to one of the weirdest starting lineups we've seen this season, where we had a starting front court of Luke Babbitt, Joshy McRoberts, and Hassan Whiteside. The guys on Lockdown Heat will discuss all the moves that Eric Spolstra made, all the uh, the decisions, and all the um, all the other general weirdness of this Miami Heat season. The young gun of the night. I'm mentioning this for completeness. It's obviously Carl Anthony Towns because he was the monstrous line of the night, and the young gun of the night goes to the best player in his first or second year. And when the best player of the actual night is a second-year player, you uh, you know where it's going. The dud of the night, let's head on to Indiana. And Monte Ellis, he was uh, pretty pooey. Four points, one rebound, three assists on one of five shooting. And it is fair to say that Ellis has been a significant disappointment this season. He is still ranked inside the top 100. But when you look at what he's done the last two weeks, it gets uglier. He's out. He's at 140, averaging under 10 points a game. So the Monte Ellis scoring machine is definitely not there anymore. He's taking less than 10 shots a game. He was at 12.6 last year. He was at 16.9 his last year in, in Dallas. He is just 
not an offensive piece at all really anymore. He's getting by on getting four assists a game. He's getting by on his three and a half rebounds and his 1.3 steals. In a 10-team league, I don't know that Alice is a must-own player. Look, his minutes and his role are going to be fairly consistent for most of the year, meaning he's going to get 31, 32 minutes. But given the way that things are running, even in a situation here in Indiana where Paul George isn't there, he's not taking any shots. And I think that that's going to going to remain the case for a lot of this for Alice. He's going to provide pretty good steal numbers. They're well down on last season. I think they will bounce back. And he's going to provide very nice out-of-position assists. But whether it continues or whether he can actually get them back up, because you know, three assists a game versus four assists a game is a big difference. He's at four for the season, but 3.3 over these last two weeks. So maybe when Paul George comes back, he's able to be a little bit more open to facilitate more. I know that doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but just less offensive attention onto him means he's able to have a little bit more room to create and to spot up these other guys and, and to hit open players. And also to be able to pass it to Paul George, who's going to be a better finisher than the other guys who have been playing in his place. So Alice is a, a, a borderline 10-team guy to me. He's a 12-team a guy that I'm still holding on to, but the arrow is, is clearly pointing in the wrong direction. For, for Monte, he is, uh, he is no longer having it all. Let's have a look at these nine games. It did start off with 10. Let's look at the nine games in a little bit of extra detail. The first one, the Detroit Pistons and the Boston Celtics. The Pistons ended up smashing the the Celtics. Um, Offensive execution was brilliant. I believe every player on this team had an assist in the first half. Um, Really, really good numbers from lots of guys, including my my anti-man, Marcus Morris. He had 24 and three, two triples and three blocks. And he gets gets it done on red-hot shooting. Now, this is the thing with Marcus Morris, and I do always stress this with guys like that, is the big nights come when he hits a lot of shots. So he was 8 of 13 for his 20 points. It's just unsustainable for him to shoot at that level. The three blocks is nice. The three assists are nice. But Morris is uh, he is fine to have as a 12-team league guy, but he's most likely your worst player. And you know, using that spot to, to stream or to add a hot free agent is probably going to be more beneficial than holding on to Marcus Morris all season. The one thing I will say for Marcus Morris is Stanley Johnson not coming for his minutes, which we thought would be the case at the start of the year. Contavious Caldwell Pope, man, his consistency is really, really, really improved. 25-5-4, two triples, a steal, and a block. Really good shooting. There is going to be a bad one coming, and this is two good ones in a row after a string of about three or four good ones in a row before that. But he's looking a lot better recently. Also, Ish Smith, where did this come from? 9 of 12 shooting, 19, 8, and 8 with a block. Love it. it it's going because Reggie Jackson will be back probably the weekend or, or next week. Um, and that's going to reduce what Ish can do. But for, for now, there's there's obviously value in that. But this is the anomaly. This is the outlier in what Ish does. Andre Drummond started out red hot, 20 and 17, two steals and a block. A nice night for him. And Johnny Lua had 12 and 7 in his 23 minutes. Just sort of just keeping that back-end 12-team value. Toby Harris, not an efficient night. 9 of 20, but 21 points, 6 boards, and 4 assists. Uh, that is fine. Also, Stan Johnson checkup did not play at all. Darren Hilliard, clearly ahead of him in the rotation, and uh, he is just he is just droodful. That's not the right word. He is dreadful. I was going to say putrid and dreadful, and it went into droodful. On the Celtics, this is the Cali link that I like. This is what I know is there. This is what I like to see. 26 minutes for Olenek, 19 points, including three triples, three rebounds, and two assists. Yes, seven of nine shooting is ridiculous, but he is a really good shooter. He's not that good of a shooter. This is what I envisage for him. 
they're starting or, or playing alongside Al Horford for big stretches, but it's not what Brad Stevens is going to envisage. So look at that, and that's awesome, and go, that that's fantastic, Kelly. I love your hair as well. But don't you go and grab him in a 12-team league thinking that, oh, this is it now. Yep, they're going to give him big minutes there. They're pissing off Zala. They're getting rid of Amir Johnson out of the rotation, and that, that's just not going to happen because Brad Stevens is going to continue to jerk these guys around with their minutes. Amir played just 15 minutes and was actually good himself, 11-5 and five with a steal and a block. Whereas Tyler Zeller, who started two games ago, played just the five minutes. So you never really know what Stevens is going to do, making it hard to own those guys. Just the nine points for Al Horford only took five shots. Not his best night. Five boards, four assists, and two blocks, helping out in other areas. While Isaiah Thomas had 27, including four, four assists, but the rest of his stat line was a little bereft of value. And Jay Crowder, nice across the board, 14-5-4 with two steals and two triples. He played 36 minutes, so we've got no issues with the ankle now, so that's always good news. And Marcus Smart, only the 24 for Marcus Smart at 24 minutes. Wasn't his best night. He was 4 of 14, did have 12 points, two boards, three assists, a steal and two triples. So some decent-ish value, but, but clearly not his best performance or not, not the best sort of thing that we've seen from Smart over the last couple of weeks. He was he was really struggling, had some early, some early fouls as well that, that limited him. Memphis and Toronto, the Memphis Grizzlies, this is what we wanted to see, how they were going to, to pan out. They were without Brandon Wright, James Ennis, Vince Carter, Zach Randolph, Chandler Parsons, and Mike Conley. So Obviously, a huge amount of guys out of the team. They started Andrew Harrison, as expected, at point guard. He played 35 minutes and went crazy. 21 points on 12 shots, two boards, four assists, three steals, and four triples. And you go to that, you go, man, that's great. Let's grab him. There is no way that that is happening every game. Yeah, he's going to obviously take extra shots. He's going to get some extra assists, and he's worth a gamble in a 12-team league. Example, I've got Marcus. If I've got Marcus Morris, which I don't, in a 12-team league, I would drop him and I would grab Harrison just just to see where it goes because you know, point guards can be more valuable than small forwards who play 38 minutes and score 14 points. But I'm not expecting Harrison to go 21-2-4 and, and grab me four triples moving forward. The minutes, I think, will be there. And this is an encouraging sign for him and in terms of if the Grizzlies are going to bring in another point guard. Yeah, really good stuff from him. Wade Baldwin, though, he struggled. Two points in 24 minutes. It was, it was clear to me that Harrison was the guy that was going to get this extra opportunity. Baldwin... Clearly has the best potential of the two, but has been far from good so far this year. Jermichael Green obviously stepping up as well with everyone out. 16-5-1. The five steals and a block is tremendous for Green, but you know, he is, he's fine to own for now. But you know, when these guys were healthy, Conley and Zebo, he was really struggling to get things going. Marcus Gasol. 35 minutes, yeah, I don't know what it's going to mean for him in a back-to-back. We'll see how they go with that one. 18-8 and eight with two triples for 35 minutes for Gasol. Tony Allen, 12-4-2. And, and Troy Williams made the start. Only the 10 points for Williams, but looked pretty solid out there. Thought he was pretty composed. Two assists and three steals. While the other Troy, Troy Daniels, 19 points, including four triples. Now, he's been dreadful this season, Daniels. This was one out of the box. It's a very, very deep league sort of flyer. But I don't look. He's going to have to get some minutes because, especially while Carter is out. But when Carter comes back, I think that these 21 minutes that Daniel's got, he's not going to get them anymore because he just hasn't been good. This was a good performance and a decent, a decent night for him. Jarrell Martin and Deontay Davis didn't do a huge amount for uh, for Memphis. The game was a lot closer than I anticipated, so we did get 37 minutes out of Kyle Lowry. Probably didn't need to, but. We still did 29, 3 and 8, 2 steals and 4 triples while DeRozan went 24, 9 and 6 and only took 6 shots. He had 24 points, sorry, only took 9 shots, 24 points on 9 shots, hit 6 of them 
and went to the line 11 times to convert 10 of those. He also went two of three from three. So a very weird night from DeMar DeRozan in that sense. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas only played the 23 minutes. It is quite tough for centers going up against Marcus Gasol. He's been almost like a, a Rudy Gobert type guy who really puts a, puts a hit on opposition centers and limits what they can do. So Valanciunas only played the 23 here. So Bebe Nogueira got 18 minutes. He had three steals and a block, Bebe, four points and two boards. But we're, we're clearly just looking at him in the deeper formats. Damari had 17 in his 20 more, 29 minutes. Damari Carroll, that is. And Pat Pat with his first double-double of the year. 14 and 13 with four triples. And despite a horrific start to the year, Patterson's actually been a guy over the last two weeks that you could have gotten good value out of in 12-team leagues. Now, is he a must-own guy? No, no chance. But he, he's got enough value where you can look at him and go, this guy's giving me two and a half threes a game. He has the occasional rebounding game. He has the occasional blocking game. He's he's got value, but it's all tied to the fact that his threes are actually going in now, whereas at the start of the year, they, they just weren't. The New York Knicks and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Chris Stapps. What's that? Just- he had another 39 minutes. The minutes are flying for him, and I, and I love it. 29 and 8, 3 triples, 4 assists, 2 blocks, 55% shooting, 20 shots. You can't ask for much more if you're a Knicks fan or if you're a Chris Stapps fan and owner. Mallow did not take a shot. In the first eight minutes of the game, ended up with 16 shots, hit just five of them, but one of those was the game winner. 14-4-2 with three steals for Mallow. Not clearly his best night, and same with Derek Rose, who played just the 24 minutes. Now, Rose had some foul issues, ended up with 11 points, no rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a three. He is going to have these nights. That's what differentiates a guy from being a top 50 guy than being a top 100 guy, is, is consistency. Courtney Lee suffered an ankle sprain in the first half, did not return. He's questionable moving forward. His fantasy ability is questionable, as is. So he's not bothering you standard league guys and you deeper league players. You just hold on and see what happens. He had seven points in eight minutes, which is actually a red-hot start for Lee. With him out, Justin Holiday started the second half. He didn't really trouble the scorers. Two points and four boards in his 20 minutes. He's going to be that 16-18 to 18 team league ad guy if uh, if Lee happens to miss, but it was Brandon Jennings who took advantage of both Lee's absence and of Rose's poor play. 12-2-7 for Jennings, two steals and two triples, and he's averaging two steals a game over the last two weeks, Jennings, and that makes him valuable. Is he a 12-team league guy? Probably not, but if you're just looking to snag steals during the week, you maybe get four or five assists, maybe you get 1.8 to two steals out of Jennings, a couple of threes, you know, 12 points, in this time where he might get some extended run if Lee happens to miss. Yeah, the, the, the value is there. I mean, Douglas Kuzminskis hit four triples for 14 points in 20 minutes, but we're, he's been impressive. And Lance Thomas looks like he'll come back on the weekend, but I've got the feeling that Kuzminskis is even a better player than Thomas, although Thomas's value defensively is uh, is superior to what Kuzminskis is on that end. We also had Marshall Plumley. Yes, Marshall Plumley, a third M Plumley in the league. 19 minutes, he played... More minutes than uh, than starting center cock. Kylo Quinn played 18, and Billy Hernan Gomez played 8. So Jeff Hornacek cannot work out what he's doing with his centers. And that's been the story all season. No joke, Kim Noah with an ankle injury. But Plumlee played well. He played well with Porzingis down the stretch. He looked comfortable. He scored his first NBA points, 4 and 5, in those 19 minutes. And you have to wonder what this does for cock, what this does for, for um, Hernan Gomez moving forward, and where Plumlee fits in the uh, deeper league conversation. It's obviously going to be very deep, but he showed enough out on the court to make you think, you know what, this guy can be 
maybe better than Miles Plumley, be a guy that, that plays 15 minutes a night. Um, I think if someone's going to be the odd man out, it's going to be Cock, unfortunately. Hornacek just he doesn't seem to be a fan, although it was Hernan Gomez who, who did struggle in this one with his eight minutes. But Plumley is, is going to be a name to watch uh, after he, he did impress in this game. Now, onto the Timberwolves. Ricky Rubio minutes watch. Well, it was fine. 38 minutes for Rubio. He played in the fourth quarter for the first time in four games. The stats aren't awesome, though. Eight points, two boards, six assists, and three steals. He was 40% from the field, which is all you can ask from for Rubio. But the way that he gets used in the offense is the disappointing part. He comes down the court a lot of the time, gives the ball to Levine, gives the ball to Wiggins, and goes and stands in the corner and then doesn't touch it. And yeah, okay, you want Wiggins and Levine to create off the dribble. I don't think that's utilizing their talents to the best way possible. I don't think it's utilizing Rubio's talents and it's not using Towns' talents to the best way possible. Rubio should be initiating things and hitting up Wiggins cutting. Hitting up Levine for spot-up open threes or for, for driving opportunities. And giving it to Towns when he's open or feeding it to him in the post. Not trying to use Wiggins' non-existent creation abilities and Levine's piss-poor decision-making. As evidenced by Levine taking that last out-of-bounds play. Um, to And uh, why, why Levine is taking that last out-of-bounds play, I've got no idea. Uh, to try and get that last shot off and it gets intercepted by Mallow. Just a, a horrible play. He's got terrible decision-making with the ball in his hands. Levine. He shouldn't be doing that. I think Thibodeau is misusing Rubio and the offense is struggling at times as a result of that. So you're happy that Rubio got six assists. You're happy that he got three steals and you're bloody happy that he played 38 minutes. But the way he's being used is a, is a real issue. Now, whether Thibodeau changes that, I don't know. But it, it's, uh, it hasn't been pretty just watching the games. Levine was okay, 17 points, but not much else. And Wigo, 19-7-4 with three triples. So starting to get it back after that really cold stretch. Tyus Jones and Chris Dunn, they combined for zero points in their 16 minutes. And Dunn, in particular, looked pretty poor when he was out on the court at, at times. And he is uh, he's obviously a, far, a fair distance off being ready, which is fine. He's a rookie. The worry is that he's 22 years old. Washington and OKC... An overtime game, so you'll be glad to know that Bradley Beal played 42 minutes, so we could keep the Bradley Beal huge minutes counter continuing. He was good, 31-5, and five, four triples, two steals. You can't complain about the output, but you're going to complain when he's sitting on his ass for two months. That's still the concern with Beal. If you think that the Wizards have solved it, and that they, they could have, I, I will lean on three years of, of history rather than six games where he hasn't got injured here. Maybe he sticks it out. If he does this for 40 games in a row, then I'll, I'll be willing to say, you know what, I was wrong. You guys know what you're doing. And, and I have seen some arguments you know, coming out saying, oh, you know, the Wizards would have checked in. They would have had their, their, why would they have invested their money? Why would they have, you know, why would the medical staff sign off on this? Well, I'll just, I'll just throw the question back at you and say, why would they have done, why would they have signed off on it in the last three years? And the last three times it's happened. The first time, fair enough. But the next two times after that, why would they have allowed it to happen then? And that's that's my concern, is that it just continually happened and they didn't step in those times. So what is it different this time where they've gone to step in and say, oh, no, it's actually, it's going to be all right this time? What did they do last time? Did they say, no, it's, it's, a, it's a, not a good idea and the coach overrode them? Like, who knows? That's where my concern comes in. Otto Porter, not his best night. He was denied the opportunity to score a lot of the time by Andre Robertson. 11-8 and eight with three steals. He played 39 minutes. Still still was really good stuff. While Johnny Wall, just the 6 of 20, but still had 15-6-15 with a steal, with a block, and hit two triples and played 44 minutes. 
Markeith Morris twisted his ankle again, 19-7, and seven, a steal and a block. This is the good Markeith. This is the Markeith that, that I like. This is the one that I think should be owned in 12-team leagues. His efficiency wasn't quite there, but those other numbers are pretty tasty. He played 37 minutes in the game. Um, we had a lot of Kelly Oubre. The Wizards went small down the stretch, very limited much in Gortat in overtime and in the fourth quarter. So Oubre played big minutes again, 28 minutes for Oubre, 12-6 and six with two triples and a steal. Some some nice numbers coming his way. That's two strong games in a row, and maybe he's gained the trust of Scott Brooks. And if he has, then you deeper league people need to look at it. And I wouldn't be in a 16-team league. I'd be going to grab him and just seeing where this leads. Because we know that Marcus Thornton is not good. We know that Trey Burke is not good, who is out of the rotation. And Thomas Sataransky, I still believe it can be good. He's struggling a little bit as well. So Ubre is the pick of these bench guys at this point. Now, they did go small. They played Ubre Porter at the 4-5. Oh, sorry, at the 3-4, and they played uh, Markeith at the 5. When Yan Mihinmi comes back, they might not go to that lineup so often because then they'll have you know, Gortat or Mahinmi as center options. Yeah, Jason Smith and Mihinmi, there's a fair, sig- fairly significant difference in the uh, in the talent level of those two guys. Onto the Thunder, Russ with another triple-double, 35-14-11 and 11 with two steals. Took him 35 shots to get his 35 points, so RIP your field goal percentage this week. Vic Oladipo, the grumblings are gone, which is great. 25, 6, and 6, 5 triples, 1 steal, 10 of 16 shooting, big-time shot-making. A lot of people don't think Victor Oladipo is a good player. I feel like I'm in the minority when I say he's a good player. I think he's a good player, and he's starting to prove it at this point. Andre Robertson with the very rare Richie Benno. He had 10 points and 5 rebounds as well to go with the 2 threes, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. And he is comfortably averaging over a steal and a block per game now this season. And that has value in any league. It might not work on your team because he's going to give you 6 points a game. But the rebounding is is decent some nights. But the the fact that he can now hit a 3, the fact that he does this defensive stuff, and he scored 10 points in this one as well, means that... Now, obviously, his minutes have increased significantly this season. That means that you've got to start looking at Robertson in 12-team in formats. A, a decent DeMontis Sabonis line, but just the 19 minutes, 10, 3, and 2 with two steals and a block. And the Thunder also went pretty small. They were playing Jeremy Grant at center for times in this one. So Ennis Cantor got the 15 minutes, still scored 14 points. He continually puts up numbers in his limited minutes, but the minutes is the real concern, as, as I hinted at yesterday. And Steve Adams went 12-6 and 6 in his 28 minutes. So he is struggling um, yeah, for most of this season, he's been struggling. He has some good games and he has some, some poor ones. It's an odd situation when Anthony Morrow gets 31 minutes and Adams plays 28. The Thunder also closed the game with Samaje Kristen on the court, which seems a uh, seems an odd choice to have a, a guy who's honestly been putrid for most of this season to get him out there and play. I, I, I want campaign back. The Lakers and the Bulls. The Lakers... Obviously, no D'Angelo Russell. The Nick Young injury turns out to be a calf strain. He's out for two to four weeks. So the uh, Luke Walton and the Lakers started Brandon Ingram. He played 41 minutes, and he went 8-3-3. Three, and three. That's not good, eight points, because it took him nine shots. He went one of nine from the field. Um, but what was good is he had two steals, and he had a block. And this is what he's doing. He's handling the ball more, so the assists are okay with him. The steals are good, the blocks are good, and this is what's going to carry his fantasy value. I'll I'll reiterate it if you haven't heard me say it. In a weekly league, in a roto league, I like grabbing Ingram and just putting him on the bench and just seeing what happens because I think he can be a top 150, a top 130 guy maybe once we get after February. For now, he's not there because the shot's not there. Now, the other thing that... Maybe this is controversial, but the other thing with Ingram 
is that he comes into the league shooting 41% from three at Duke. The smooth shooting, Brandon Ingram. Look how smooth he is. He, he's thin, so he's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's a good shooter, so Brandon Ingram's a good shooter. Um, look how smooth he is. Look how smooth this shot is. He looks like Kevin Durant. All these things, yeah, it's it's like the Devin Booker, Clay Thompson thing. But a guy like Ingram, who couldn't hit 70% of his free throws last season, couldn't, I mean, he's you know, below 75% this season, maybe he's not a good shooter. I, I did some deep diving on this. I went back to his high school numbers. His senior year of high school, he hit 34% of threes in high school. Yeah, very close line, piss-weak competition. In his junior year of high school, he hit 33% of threes. And he, he didn't he failed to have a, a season in high school with his free throws over 80. Maybe he's not a good shooter. Maybe he can become one, and yeah, no, no doubt that's the case. But that's what's really holding him back at the moment, his ability both physically to, to be able to get into positions to hit shots or even hit wide open threes that, that he's missing a lot is holding him back. And it's very rare that you see an elite three-point shooter with subpar free throw shooting. It just doesn't happen all that often. And he's that guy that came in with that combination. You have 40% from three, 65% from the line. That's an odd combination. Which one's true? Are you a poor shooter or are you an elite shooter? Well, everything bar the 40% that we saw from him at Duke last season tends for me to say that you're not a good shooter. It's clearly still a working progress. He is very young, but... I don't know. It's just a nagging thought that's in my head that I had to bring out there. Tim Mozgov had two points in his 17 minutes. Not good for him. Larry Nance, he's back in business after his concussion. 12 and 11 for Nancy. Three steals, 26 minutes for Nance. That's that, that's obviously 12-team league worthy. But will he do it? I think he's done it the last two or three games in pretty big numbers. Um, and, and with Nicky Young out, he'll get some extra time because I'll play more Ingram at the two rather than being able to play Ingram at the four more often. So Nance is going to have a slightly increased role, and that might be useful for you in 12-team leagues. Julius Randle, 20 boards, huge. 13 points, two steals, but some horrific shooting. Four of 13, and five of eight from the free throw line. So the efficiency, the high rebounds, it just harkens back to the Julius Randle we saw last season. I don't think that that's going to necessarily regress to that, but that's that's what it was. But you still, you, you will take the 20 boards, no problem. Geordie Clarkson played 34, went 18-4-3. and three. That's going to be a consistent theme for him moving forward with this Nick Young injury. And Louis Williams, 18-5-5. Five five. It's good to see Williams get 18-5-5. Five five. It's good to see him have a triple one and do it on 4 of 12 shooting. Because a lot of his numbers this season have come with him shooting 5, 6, 7% better than career averages. So when he puts up a turd and still scores 18-5-5 five five with a triple one, that's when you know it's yeah, really good. So he's a clear, a clear must-own player, but you are... I'm sure aware of that already. Jose Calderon started just the 17 for Calderon, seven points and one assist. The last time that Nick Young was out, he played 27 minutes. They're obviously going away from that. They're playing more Williams and Clarkson at the one, and then that Ingram Ingram at the two, Deng at the three sort of situation. So Calderon is just a, uh, a Noah Vonley, a Ronnie Brewer, if you want to call it that starter at this point, and not much looks like it, it'll change. Onto the Bulls, uh, Robin Lopez. What a weird situation at the start of the year where Freud, Fred Hoiberg just refused to play him even 20 minutes a game. Now he's a linchpin of this team, almost triple-doubled, 10 points, 9 boards, 8 blocks, 1 assist, 1 steal, and it should have been bigger. He was only 4 of 12, and he is a much better finisher than that normally. Clearly a must-own guy, and it's been a really weird 
change to see the switch in what he's been doing this season. Rajon Rondo was good. You don't hear me say that often, but he was. 14, 8, and 6, two steals and two triples. Dwayne Wade, who was doubtful at one point, upgraded to questionable and then played with a tooth issue. 17, 4, and 6 with two steals, while Jim Butler, not the best night for Jim. 4 of 18 shooting for 22 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 steals. But he did go 13 of 15 from the free throw line. And Taj Gibson double-doubled before he fouled out. 11 and 10 with 2 steals and a block. Just keeps on keeping on. You know, he's, he's definitely a 12-team type of guy. But he's that back-end guy. Is he, a, is he a 12th best guy? Is he a 11th best guy? He's around that range. But I still think that he should be owned. It's becoming clear to me that you can't deal with Nick Miritich anymore. The minutes just aren't going to be there unless an injury comes. 22 for Miritich, 6-6 six and six with two steals and a block, which are really, they're still decent numbers. But the opportunity, the shot attempts, the minutes, they're just not high enough. Give him five extra minutes a game, and I'd say, yeah, he can still be a top 100 guy, but he's just not playing enough until an injury, until an injury strikes someone down. The San Antonio Spurs and the Dallas Mavericks talked about there being a real rest opportunity for these Spurs guys here, and it happened. We had no Tone Parker. We had actually we had no Manu and we had no Pau Gasol. They did not even go on the flight with the team. And then Parker, I don't know, 15 minutes before the game, oh Tony Parker's he's not going to start and he probably won't play. Look, that that's weird. Uh, he didn't play. They got Nicholas Nicholas Laprovatola who started, but as like last time when Parker sat down, they started Dejounte Murray because Laprovatola was out with a tooth problem. It's Paddy Mills that gets the bulk of the minutes. 29 minutes for Mills, 23, 3 and 4, 5 triples, 9 of 12 shootings, obviously ridiculous. Mills, of, or, not, not, I was going to say always, but he doesn't. Some of the games when, when Parker's out, he, he doesn't step up like this, but he's done it the last couple. So he's worth a DFS look or a stream look when Parker happens to be out. The most exciting thing to me, though, was the fact that they started Dwayne Dedman. Now, I floated this idea on the Spurs preview and in other podcasts this season that maybe the Spurs would be better starting Deadman next to Aldridge instead of Pau Gasol. And they were probably never going to do it, but we got to see it today. And Deadman played 26 minutes. He had six points, 10 boards, two steals, three blocks. This guy, if he was getting these minutes, he'd be a must-own player. He's not there yet, but he's been very impressive in the last two games since he returned from his knee injury. So deeper leagues, he's owned in 1% of leagues. You need to fix that immediately. There's no way he should be sitting on any waiver wise in 16-team leagues. You know what? Even 14-team leagues, because he should be able to carve out an 18- to 20-minute role, get you some blocks, be a high efficiency from the field and from the line guy, and get some rebounds. And if Pop decides to mix it up and start him, then we're going to have some good numbers. It's, it's, it's a long shot, though. Kawhi, the shooting, not not right, not quite there for Kawhi. And he's a guy who has increased his usage this season. It is impacting his efficiency a little bit, and it's impacting his fantasy rank. He's actually got, and I wrote an article over on Basketball Monster today looking at usage because people often use usage, and they'll say, oh, this guy's having a huge boost in his usage, so that's going to mean he's a better fantasy player. And it's, and it's not always the case. Now, for you people who don't know what usage rate is, it measures... How, what percentage of plays a player finishes? So there's three ways to finish a play. You can take a shot, you can take a free throw, or you can turn the ball over. So if your usage rate goes up from 20, which is average, 100 divided by five players on the court is 20. If you go up from 20 to 25, it means you're using 5% more of a team's possessions. And that might be you're turning the ball over more. That's bad. You're taking more shots. Might be good, might be bad. Or you're taking more free throws. The same might be good, might be bad. Now, in general, if you take more shots and you, you, if you take more shots, you score more points. Unless your efficiency dips, which sometimes it can. If 
you you take more shots and your percentages are below average, say your field goals are at 45 or your free throws are at 75, then that increased usage means increased attempts and that means that your negative impact in the percentage categories increases. So that's not good. Your usage by definition does not measure rebounds, assists, steals or blocks and doesn't necessarily measure three-pointers either. It measures turnovers and attempts, which might be more points depending on how it gets converted. Now, when you go and have a look at the study that I did, you'll see that a lot of the players who increase their usage increase their fantasy rank. But Russ Westbrook's usage went up almost 9%, and his fantasy ranks dropped. Kawhi's usage went up, and his fantasy ranks dropped. George Hill's usage went up, his fantasy ranks soared. It's gone through the roof. So it's not the be-all and end-all. I use this all as a as a self-promotional plug to go read the article, but secondly, to talk about you know, why Kawhi's percentages are dropping a little bit, because he is using the ball more, he's putting himself in tougher positions, and I didn't think that that would be the case this year, that with Pau Gasol replacing Tim Duncan basically in the rotation, I said basically too often there, but with, with Gasol replacing Duncan, I didn't think that Leonard would then take more shots. I thought that Gasol would get more of those shots or get you know, closer to his amount because Duncan basically barely touched the ball last season. And that, that would you know, allow Leonard to just remain doing what he's doing. But his usage has gone sky high. Now, back to the usage thing. Yeah, look, a player who's got the ball in his hands and he's turning it over more or taking more shots, they're probably likely to get more assists. But it literally has no impact on steals, blocks, or rebounds whatsoever. And it can have negative percentage effects as well. And it, it might affect assists. It might not. I just wanted to get that out there and explain that, but go read the article and have a look at the few examples I put out there. LaMarcus Aldridge was terrible. Five, eight, and three. Nine attempts, two of nine. He has um, been up and down, I think is probably the best way of talking about LaMarcus Aldridge's season. On to the Mavs. Seth Curry has a knee sprain. He played 28 minutes. He's droppable in 12-team leagues anyway. 14-2 and two with two triples and a steal. A nice night from Seth, but with Devin Harris making his season debut, with Darren Williams' minutes coming up, then there's no point holding on to Seth. Now, Darren played just the 26. He went 9, 8, and 5, took 12 shots. The minutes are going up. I think that Darren is a 12-team league guy. Devin Harris is really only a 18- to 20-team league guy, but his impact, him playing, is going to reduce guys like Seth and Dorian Finney-Smith. He had one rebound in his 11 minutes, Devin Harris, but the fact that he's there is important. Andy Bogut, 4-12-5 with a block. That's the numbers that you would have signed up for if you did own him or did draft him. And the pencil with the rare triple one had 17 points as well. Well, Wes Matthews has been on fire after I was very, very critical of him early in the season. 26 with five triples, two steals and a block. And getting a ton of shots for this team and playing playing pretty good basketball. Dwighty Powell, I talked about him the other day that when he had that five steal, 26-minute performance that you can't trust it. Well, he played 15 minutes only. He had 10 and four. So even with Dirk out, his role and his minutes are far from guaranteed. And Justin Anderson went back to a, a pretty turdy shot of night. Four points in his 21 minutes. Atlanta and Phoenix. Paul Millsap was out with a hip issue. So we had Mike Muscala start. And of course, when he starts, he puts up his worst performance of the season. Scoreless, Muscala was on five shots, had just three boards, one assist, and two blocks. Um, there was a stage where he was a guy that in 12-team leagues, sure, you, you could you could definitely own, but at this point, I don't think we're really anywhere near that that point with uh, with Mike Muscala anymore. The, the Millsap injury doesn't appear serious, so that's that's good for his owners. 
Uh, Kenty Bazemore was great. 22-5-3, four triples, three steals, one block. He was 8 of 17 from the field, and he, he can do this. He can definitely do this. Does he do it often enough to be reliable? Oh, of course not. But he is still a guy that I am holding on to if I did own him anywhere. Double-double from Dwight, 17-14. and 14. But the biggest story for me is Dennis Schroeder. 31-4-9, two triples, one block. I've seriously been seeing threads and comments come up that people think that he's losing his job. Nah, he's going to lose the job. I regret drafting him in the seventh round. I'm going to drop him. You just need to calm down. I know he's had his moments, and he does get hated by a lot of people. But he was he was going to bounce back. I was pretty adamant about that. Um, and look, I can get things wrong, no doubt. But he was never losing his job to Malcolm Delaney. He was going to bounce back. And that's two strong games in a row for Schroeder. He'll have some stinkers. And when we brought him up in the preseason, that's, there'll be games when he plays 23 minutes. And it'll piss you off. It just won't be the common thing moving forward. And this is the good Schroeder. This is the Schroeder that, that I know was there. And I'm, I'm pretty happy to see it. Tabo Cephalosha becoming one of the elite steals stream guys. Another five steals with eight boards in his 31 minutes. Kyle Korver, he's still only in 61% of leagues. For, for what reason, I've got absolutely no idea. Three points in 16 minutes for Tabo. Oh, not for Tabo, for Kyle Korver. Or Timmy Hardaway had a hot night. 21 points on 17 shots. And maybe Tim Hardaway replaces Kyle Korver at some point. Probably not, but it's worth noting that how, just how poor Korver has been. Mike Scott made his season debut. He played four minutes. He is such a chucker. I don't think that Mike Scott is a very good player at all. I, I don't really see him having an impact in any league this year. Onto the Suns. Of course, they started the uh, the old man brigade. Tyson Chandler out there. Earl Watson can't make up his mind. That's pretty clear. 25 minutes for Chandler, 6-9 and nine with three steals and a block, while Alex Len played 23, and he went 6-9 and nine with a steal and two blocks. So decent numbers for, for both of those guys. But, you know, what what do you do? Now, Len, Len has got the value to me moving forward. He's got the upside. Can you own him in a 12-team league? Sure, you, you can consider it, but it, he, he's... He's not a guarantee to ever, ever change it based on some of Watson's frustrating coaching decisions. But but he is the guy clearly there to me for the future. Brandon Knight, 23 points in 31 minutes. The bi-weekly Brandon Knight performance, very, very impossible basically to trust him. And this is a weird thing. Like, he didn't play well. He was 6 of 18 from the field, you know, chucking the ball a lot. You know, got it going, got some points, but took just a mountain of shots. And, and that's that's the weird thing is it why he got to run so many minutes in this game. Devin Booker was not great. 13 points, 4 assists, took 13 shots as well. And Eric Bledsoe also was was pretty poor. 5 of 17 for 12, 6, and 4. The Marquise Chris starting experiment is is not really doing anything for him. He's at 7 points in 13 minutes. Clearly not a great performance there. While PJ Tucker started again and had 17 points. That's two big scoring nights in a row for PJ. But he's uh, he's a deeper league sort of player. Also, Jared Dudley, who was uh, questionable coming into the game with a, with a foot problem, 17 points, two steals, and three triples. But let's uh, let's chalk that one up to being a little bit of a fluky performance. Miami and Denver. Hassan Whiteside just gets it done. 25 and 16, a steal, four blocks, flying at the moment. We've talked Wayne Ellington already. Now, yesterday, James Johnson, well, not yesterday, maybe the day before, James Johnson's minutes were down. I was a little bit worried, but I said, look, there was some foul trouble there, and hopefully he gets back into it. He did 33 minutes here, 10, 7, and 5, three steals and two blocks for James Johnson. That's the uh, that's the James Johnson special. That's why you, you want to own James Johnson is for getting those numbers. And with Waiters, with Winslow, with Richo out, 
Yeah, he, he should be able to get 30-odd minutes or around 30 minutes, especially now that Derek Williams is back out of the rotation. So he's definitely worth worth consideration. Tyler Johnson, 18-2-7 in his 28 bench minutes, probably his best performance in a while. Don't really think there's much must-own 12-team ability there. The starters, Rod Magruder, Scooter Magruder, he had three steals in his 25 minutes. He is just a 20-team specialist. Lukey Babbitt hit three triples for 11 points, same as a deep league guy. And Joshie McRoberts, who started at Power Forward, 17 minutes for one point. So we had James Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Wayne Allington, uh, Dragic and Whiteside, who were the guys that played the bulk of the minutes for this game. Dragic wasn't the same as he was in the last game, 16-3-7 on 6 of 17 shooting, but you're not doing much about that. On to the uh, Denver Nuggets. Yusuf Nurkic, 17 minutes. I don't think there's any point in holding on to Nurkic in 12-team leagues. He is severely limited, continues to start. For what reason, I've got no idea. Um, he, he just, he, he, it's clear. If you watch this game, he is the inferior center by a, a significant margin. He gets affected by things in a, in a pretty significant way, like emotionally and mentally as well. And when you've got a guy behind you that is as good as he is, there's, there's no reason for Nurkic to be you know, preventing Jokic from getting 30 minutes. Now, Jokic played just 24 today, which remains you know, criminal in itself. But 17 points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists, 7 of 11 shooting, 3 of 4 from the line. This is why I love him. This is why I still love him. This is why I know he can be a very useful fantasy player. This is why he should be playing 29 to 30 minutes a night. This is why he can be a top 30 guy, because he can do this stuff. But poor rotations, poor decisions, some some blame on Jokic as well for some lack of confidence and assertiveness, but he's been fine the last couple of weeks. hes I have no doubt he's going to be a top 50 guy by the end of this year. No, that's not sure. I have some doubt, but it's its not high. And this is why that I held him everywhere I drafted him. It was, a, it was a rough couple of weeks. And there still might be a lot of roughness coming up, but by now, surely, surely Malone can't look at it and go, we probably need to go back to 28 minutes of Nurkic and play lots of Kenneth Farid at center while Jokic plays 18 minutes. He can't do that. It, it would make no sense. Jokic is in a, in a real strong run, and this is not fluky because we saw it for three months last year. He just continually did this. It's, it's, it's a great sign for him if he did hold on. Jameer Nelson played 38 minutes. That's a weird sentence to say in 2016. 17, 5, and 8 for Jameer with three triples. He uh, took the starting job with Will Barton out it looks like he's going to continue to start as long as Barton's out, and that means he's got some value. But some of the games he played earlier in the season, he barely could do anything. But he looks in a more comfortable role at the moment. It just won't last long term. 17-7 and seven for Wilson Chandler. And we had uh, the Rooster back. Thigh bruise, 36 minutes. So he's clearly fine to go. 17-4-4 four and four for Gallinari. Not a great uh, Manuel Moutier night. Just the seven points on three of 11 shooting. It's just one of his three free throws. But... You like the eight rebounds. You like the seven assists. You like the block. You, you just want the shooting to be better to, to help you know, get this overall value up. But but not a great night, but clearly far from a horrible night. Juancho Hernan Gomez and Alonso G, they barely played. So that the rotation is, is sort of set without those guys in it. Jamal Murray blocked two shots. He's blocking a lot of shots at the moment, which is weird. Had nine points with two triples. He was worth grabbing in 12-team leagues. That's probably over. Now, I'll, I would look to move on and, and, and stream that spot with, with Nelson getting these minutes, with Barton potentially back pretty soon. It's just going to put put a cap on what Murray can do, 
And yeah, he can get hot and score, but he's going to be sort of up and down with with what he does. He still took 10 shots. He hit just three of them, but that's going to be the, the concern with that. And if you own him, I've got almost no doubt he's the worst player on your roster in a 12-team league anyway. The Indiana Pacers and the Portland Trailblazers. No Paul George, obviously. No CJ Miles. No Kevin Serafin. So Jeff Teague's really stepping up. 25, 5, and 8. A 3 and a block. You're loving it if you drafted him now after that real slow start. Things are falling into place. When George comes back, it will drop off. Same thing for Miles Turner, who does suffer a bit when Paul George is around. 19 and 10 for Turner with a block. And uh, the little dog, Glenn Robinson, the third. 34 minutes for him. 15, 4, and 1. Two triples and a steal. I don't know how you can keep him out of the rotation. I don't know how you keep him in the rotation, but I don't know how you can keep him out of it at the moment, playing so. He's a really, really good basketball. 16 points for Aaron Brooks in his 21 minutes. Cool. Al Jefferson, 13 points, but he just gets roasted defensively, and Seraphin's going to come back and provide a lot, and it cut into Jefferson's minutes quite a bit. We had only 24 minutes for Thad Young. He did struggle a little bit in this one, and it was a good matchup for him, so I'm not really sure why he played so so little. Same with Monte Ellis, just the 25 for him as, as they went to guys like Jefferson and Stuckey and Brooks for, for longer stretches of time than was probably necessary, and I think it ended up costing Nate McMillan in the end because there were some defensive concerns with, with Jefferson when he was out there. Onto the Blazers, Dame Lillard, 28, 5, and 10, 5 steals. Ridiculously efficient, going 11 of 18 from the field. You love that as a Lillard owner. CJ McCollum, 19, 5, and 5 with contributions in other categories. Not really field goal percentage where he went 7 of 18, but the other numbers are nice. And there were big numbers right across the board from the Blazers. Evan Turner got going, 13, 4, and 6 with 3 triples. No, not 3 triples, 3 steals on 5 of 7 shooting. He is a a 14-teamer. My boy Mo Harkless is a 12-team league player, and I won't have you say anything different. 23-2, and two, three triples, two steals. He's just been consistently getting these numbers pretty much every day. Every, every time the Blazers play, he is a uh, he's a lock in my DFS lineup, and I don't think he's really let me down once. Mason Plumley's also flying 16-9-6 with a block, and, and no, I don't think the return of Aminu affects him, and I don't really ever think we're going to see Festus Azili, to be honest. So Plumley's got that job. Pretty much locked down. Eddie Davis played 32 as the starting power forward. Had a steal on a block and nine boards, but just the two points. He doesn't really move the needle for me, nor does Myers Leonard. Alan Crabb had 15 points. That's a bargain there, but he does does nothing in the other areas. So there's absolutely no reason to even consider Alan Crabb. And even in the 14-team league, I reckon you might even be pushing it in a, in a league that deep. All right, that is it for Wednesday's action. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to preview the six games for Thursday. Hi, you've reached the High Fashion Hotline. Hi, my family's going to a tailgate, and I want our style to stand out from the crowd. Just go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's got all the latest fall styles. Plus, during Old Navy's colossal sale, you'll save up to 50% off store-wide. Did you say up to 50% off? I did, so don't sit on the sidelines. Old Navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks, stylish dresses from 15 bucks, and comfy tees for the family from just 6 bucks. right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. We're cheering for Old Navy. High Fashion, Old Navy. Valid 10 to 1010. Select styles only. Now I- 
people, we're back. We're going to take a look at the perfect DFS lineups from what day? Wednesday. Wednesday's action on FanDuel. We start with Russ Westbrook at 67.3 and Den Schroeder at 46.3. Contavious Caldwell Pope had 40 and Vic Oladipo at 41.2. That all makes pretty much perfect sense. At small forward, Marcus Morris, 34.3. He's not someone I would have had in a lineup. And Kenty Bazemore at 37.5. Always a, a decent tournament play, an impossible cash game guy. The the next three guys get me really excited. Kristaps Porzingis at 47.6. Nick Jokic at 39.3. And Carl Anthony Towns at 75.6. Three big men who were all rookies last season turning in monster nights. And they are going to be monsters for the foreseeable future. They were the top three rookies last season by a considerable margin. And they look especially Porzingis and Towns, they look awesome. That lineup would have gotten you 429.1 points. On DraftKings, there were a few more randoms thrown into the situation here. Ish Smith at 43, Wayne Allington at 37.5. Real punt plays for both of those guys. Bazemore, 41.25. Jokic, 42. Towns, 80. Westbrook, 75.5. Marcus Morris, 37. And Schroeder at 50 for a total of 406.25 points. All right, let's go through these games now and see if we can get some value out of those ones. The first one of those is going to be the Dallas Mavericks and the Charlotte Hornets. We had a couple of guys who are questionable we need to check on before the game goes. That's Jeremy Lamb, who left last game with a right knee contusion, and Seth Curry, who's got a knee sprain from today's game. Um, I don't know how much the, the absence of either of those guys affects your DFS lineups. Maybe if Lamb misses, you want to make, you potentially invest in Marco Bellinelli, who gets five to six extra minutes, maybe plays up to 30, and, and had had some decent games when Lamb was out first. If Curry misses, he might look at a guy like Jonathan Gibson and punt him into a tournament, but nothing nothing too great on the, uh, on the side of, um, what they called the Dallas Mavericks. We'll talk about... Oh, now my internet has gone down, so that's always awesome when that happens. You know what? Let's move on to the next page. Let's move on to the next game. We'll go back to Dallas and Charlotte. hate when that happens. The next game we talk about is Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I've got all this data up in front of me. All right, we'll talk about the point... Actually, what's the spread? The Bucks are favored by four, and the total is a whopping 217 points. It's the second highest total of the night. There's a there's a big one, Houston Golden State, coming up later on. That's got a, a pretty significant uh, total to look at. Let's look at the point guards here. Matthew Delavadova's probably the pick of the two, 4100 for Dally. He just sort of gets you that 20 points, and I don't think his tournament upside is all that high. But in a cash game, in a positive matchup against Brooklyn, getting 20 points out of Delavadova. I don't think that sounds like a, an impossibility by by any stretch. So I think that you can look at Dally to fill out your cash game roster to get some other high-value picks in at some of the other positions, like small forward where you've got Durant and LeBron both going. On the uh, the other point guards, Isaiah Whitehead at 3,900. looks appealing due to the price, but but he does struggle to get to that 20-point mark. Um, and the Bucks are, are pretty unforgiving when it comes to being able to... Uh, shut down opposition point guard, so I'm not sure that he is going to be one of your number one choices to use on, on this slate of games. Other point guards out there, Yogi Ferrell, he didn't play at all in the last game, and Jason Terry is not really worth considering unless J.R. Smith's in the lineup. At shooting guard, 10,300 for Giannis Adetokounmpo. Yeah, look, you're pretty much getting 50 out of him every night. Now he takes on the, the Nets. We could be looking at a 60. We could be looking at a 70 from Giannis. And again, he, he's been so good without having absolute monsters, he could easily go out there and go 35, 15, 15, 3, and 3, 
and then you go, okay, that's cool. And then he drops in 80 or 90. He's got that potential. I love him in, in both cash and tournament formats. Shawnee Kilpatrick is pretty highly elevated in price on Fangio, up to 5,700 now. Now, I know he's been great. I don't know what his ownership's going to be. I think a lot of people will get on him. Um, I think that the Sharps will fade him. 5,700 is pretty expensive. He's going to have issues with Jabari getting, or not Jabari, with Giannis getting on him and defending him at times. So 5,700 feels just a little bit a little bit too high for Kilpatrick. I don't hate it. On other sites, it's a bit cheaper, and then I'm more interested in Kilpatrick. On Fangio, it is just a little expensive. 3,600 for Joe Harris. He had 22 points in the last game, the over, overtime victory against the Clippers. Is that realistic to think he'll play as much as that moving forward? No, is the answer there. Small forwards. Boyan Bogdanovich. He's at 4,200. He's always worth a tournament look. You can go out there and get your 25 or 26, but at 4,200, again, he's cheaper on some other sites, and you'll see me mention that later. I don't really love him at 42, but he, but he's he's far from a terrible option in this matchup. Definitely someone to look at. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was right to go last game and didn't play, so we're probably going to hold off on, on using him until we actually see him either back in the starting lineup or getting back his minutes. So he's, he's a stay away for me. Tone Snell at 36, almost minimum salary for a starter. Should be appealing if your starter wasn't terrible. He can have nights where he hits threes, but he's just such an invisible player that it is it is really tough to use him. Now, the matchup's very nice for, for Snelly, but will I use him? Uh, the answer's most likely going to be no. Mick Beasley's been flying at the moment. 3,700 for Beasley. He had 24 in the last game. His minutes have been up. He's averaging 20 over the last five and 18 points in that time frame as well. I don't hate using Beasley in a tournament. You saw yesterday he appeared in the perfect lineup. So at, at that salary with, with what he's been doing, yeah, not not a, not a complete write-off. Mirza Tulevich, well, he was a write-off. He did not play at all. He was a DNP CD. Some weird... It's Jason Kidd, man. I was going to say some weird decisions, but it's Jason Kidd. It's just pretty much par for the course for him at this point to do stuff that makes no sense. At power forward, Jabari's at 6,400. He's definitely been down. I talked about some of his on-off issues the other day. I think he's a minus 15, so the Bucks are 15 points per 100 possessions better with him on the bench than they are with him on the court. And uh, friend of the program, Mika Honkasalo, who's a writer for Hoops Habit, I believe, and uh, and Nylon Calculus, he, he tweeted out a stat yesterday saying that Jabari Parker on shots in the paint that are in the non that that aren't in the restricted area so any shot in the paint that's not in the restricted area so layups and slams taking it out he's 0 for 29 that that's ridiculous that is a ri- ridiculously poor conversion of any shot in the paint that's not a restricted area shot 0 for 29 so i'm going to be watching the bucks game to see if he can actually hit any sort of paint jumper hasn't hit one all season that is a, a terribly cold streak so that at some point, he's he's going to hit one. And I think at 6,400, he is a tournament option. It's a very good matchup for him. So I think that this could work work in his favor, hopefully. Trevor Book has been on fire. He's at 5,900. I like using him as well. You know, Jabari's defense is not good. So 59 for Trevor Booker just continually gets his hands, uh, continually gets his hands on balls. Giggity! And getting these steals, getting rebounds, hitting threes. He's a, he's a decent option. At uh, at fifty nine hundred centers, Greggy Munro is at forty six. What do we make of Greg Munro? Well, we can't really make anything of it just yet, but the matchup is brilliant. Um, his recent form has been good. He's averaging almost twenty five points over the last three games, and at forty six hundred, and that's in twenty minutes. At forty six hundred, I have to look at that and go, 
in a tournament, could Munro put up 30? Well, why not? He had 30 against the Cavs in, in 26 minutes. Does Jason Kidd realize that he is their best center? Probably not. But maybe he does. Maybe he plays him 27, and Munro doesn't need 30 minutes. At 4,600, he does not need it. He's been a very good source of numbers in limited minutes this season. I think that 4,600 for Greg Munro is plausible. Justin Hamilton at 37, we won't use. Uh, Brookie Lopez destroyed the Clippers with 48 in the last game. He's at 7,300. We would have to think that the fact that he played 43 minutes means that the minutes limit is clearly not being strictly enforced. At 7,300, that means you want 35-ish out of Brook. Yeah, you can definitely see it. You can see it happening. Is he a priority option to me? Uh, Not really. 4,200 for Johnny Henson. There's the uncertainty with what kid will do. If it was 3,500, it would be more appealing. 42 almost puts it you know, close to his, not, not his ceiling, because his, his ceiling is high. It just comes out one every 20 games. So I if I'm taking a buck center, it's probably going to be Munro, even though I'm paying 400 extra and he's coming off the bench. I just know that he's a better, he's a better player and he's a better contributor. All right, we can go back to that first game now that, my computer so rudely stuffed up for me. The Dallas Mavericks and the Charlotte Hornets. Let's look at the point guards. Where are we? Let's look at the point guards in this game here. There's not a lot to look at. No, it's not true. Kemba Walker's at 8,000. He hasn't... He struggled a little bit to reach value lately. And, and as I keep saying, point guards that play Dallas, they don't score. They don't score big points for numerous reasons. There might be a blowout that they don't have to play. Um, you might have point guards playing who aren't usual starters when teams rest players against Dallas. But so far this season, they're like the toughest team for point guards to get fantasy points against. Kemba's already struggling with what he's been doing. He hasn't had a great history against Dallas himself. I think he's a fade. I, I don't like the spot for him. Darren Williams at 5,700. Uh, it's too expensive. Yeah, look, he, he had 24 in 26 minutes today. That's nice. He's had a decent record against Charlotte in the past, but... It's a back-to-back, do we get 25 again from Darren, or do we get 20? There is a definite risk there, and at 5,700, I, I don't want to take that risk. Devin Harris, Ramon Sessions, John Gibson, or maybe you throw Gibson in if Seth Curry is out. Shooting guard, Wes Matthews at 47. I, I love that. He's been consistently good over the last week or so, putting up some, some consistent numbers, and if Seth is out, that should even boost him a little bit more. Nick Batum at 6,500. Yeah, I don't mind Batum. I think there's there's definitely some value in using him. But since he came back from that eye issue, he didn't put up great numbers. I think a big Batum game could be coming, and this could be the one, especially with a $400 discount on his price over on FanDuel. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, no, we won't be using him regardless of who he plays. Same with Seth Curry at 4500 For the small forwards, the pencils at 6100 I think that he is a decent spot in this slate of games without being spectacularly good, but I think that you can you know, pretty pretty comfortably feel like you're going to get 27 to 30 out of out of the pencil Harrison Barnes. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist at 5200 I want his salary to drop a bit before I consider using him. Justin Anderson, Dorian Finney-Smith, they're not interesting, but Marco Balnelli is at $4,000 if Jeremy Lamb is out and they and I would assume they would give an extra four or five to Ballinelli. And in the last five games, he's had a 27-pointer. And at 4,000, you will absolutely take that. And he could easily get back to 25-plus to in this game. So he is a guy to watch if Lamb happens to be out. 
at power forward. Frank Kaminsky was terrible in the last game, nine points, but at 4,500 as a starter, who's going to most likely get 30 plus minutes and is most likely going to get faded the shit out of in tournaments. I, I don't, I think that Zeller is not Zeller. We'll talk about him in a sec. I think that Kaminsky is a very, very good play. Now, it could blow up and bite me in the ass, but prior to that game, he'd been very solid. He'd been scoring a lot. He'd been rebounding. He'd been passing. He'd been hitting threes, and then had a real turd where he went one of 11. I think that he'll be faded. The price has dropped. I like using him as a as a pivoty type of guy. Dwighty Powell, 3,600. You cannot trust what Carlisle is going to do with him whatsoever. At center, the guy I just referenced before, Cody Zeller, is at 4,600. He is almost a lock for 20 every single night, and he's got the upside to go for 30. I don't know why they don't play him 30 minutes. He is so far and away the best center on this team, and he is criminally underrated by his own coach, it feels like, and mainstream national media, and a lot of fans of the NBA. I think he's very, very good at what he does, and at 4,600, I feel pretty confident about using him. Andy Bogut at 4,500. Back-to-back worries me a little bit with Bogut, but he's been putting up some decent numbers with Dirk out, averaging 25 across the last five games. And 25 at 4,500 is uh, is doing the business for you. So I, I, I would look into to Bogey. The back-to-back portion of it does, it does scare me just a little bit, though, with him. The next game we're going to take a look at, we're looking at the Orlando Magic. They're taking on the Memphis Grizzlies. The Magic are favored by one. The total is a puny 182.5. That has a lot of screaming stay-awayness to it. But there is just so many value plays in this game that even though the pace is so low, the low price of so many players means it's not a total stay-away. As dumb as that sounds. Now, Alfred Payton is dealing with an ankle sprain. We don't know if he'll play. On the Memphis side, it's Vincey Carter with his hip and Zach Randolph still dealing with the uh, the passing of his mother. We don't know if those guys will play. And they both of those things do affect things quite a bit. On the point guard side, we look at DJ Augustine. He's at 3,700. He started the last two games and he gets a significant boost if Lord Alfred is out. Now, if Payton is in, I imagine Payton plays more minutes than what Augustine does. But at 3,700, even if Augustine plays 22 minutes or 23 minutes, you should be able to get 20 points out of him. And he's always got that microwave ability to get hot and hit some shots. So I like him at 3,700. Andy Harrison at 3,900. Well, he just dropped a casual 33 today. He's probably not going to do that again, but I'm fairly confident that he's going to get 35 minutes. He's going to get some extra touches. He's going to be active on ball as well defensively, and he should get you 20 points. So I like him as as a very cheap play as well. 5,700 for Lord Alfred with the uncertainty with his minutes and his ankle. I don't think that's the, probably the right way to go, nor is Wade Baldwin or, or CJ Watson. Shooting guard, 4,000 for Tony Allen. Fine. He had 19 today. You should feel you're fairly confident that Allen can get you 20 points. I'll be a little bit worried just because it's a back-to-back and maybe they limit his minutes a bit, but they can't really afford to unless they go, we're playing 35 minutes of Troy Daniels because Troy Williams played big chunks today. We had 24 minutes of Wade Baldwin who struggled. So I think Allen at 4,000 is definitely someone to look at. On the flip side, Evan Fournier, 5,800. I think that's that's decent without having a massive amount of upside. I think that he's more a cash than a tournament guy, but even in a tournament, I don't think I don't think you should be uh, completely off using Evan Fournier. Troy Daniels had 23 points today. He's at minimum salary. Sure, chuck him in. If Vince Carter's out, definitely definitely a tournament guy to look at. 3,700, Troy Williams, the starting small forward or shooting guard for this team, whoever you want to phrase it. He doesn't do a huge amount. He had 16 today. He's averaging 19 over the last three but there's definitely ability for him to get for 22 or 23 points. And at 3,700, 
you'll absolutely take that, especially in a really plus matchup here if he's going up against a guy like Fournier or Jeff Green or, or even Aaron Gordon. Speaking of Aaron Gordon, he's at $4,000. He was limited in the last game due to foul trouble, but seemed to get it going a little bit more. He's a very risky play, but $4,000 for Gordon, I definitely think that you can use that. And you can, it's, I can't trust it in a cash game, but if we hear that he's starting, I'll feel a lot more confident about Gordon. I think that they'll go and give him 27 minutes and see how it goes. I'm not 100% on that, though. Vincey Carter at 39, you would throw him in if he plays, but we don't know if he's playing at this point. And Jeff Green, we just it's very hard to use him anywhere. Power forwards, Jermichael Green at 4,400. Love it, obviously, if Zebo is out. He had 35 today. 4,400 is not an expensive price. It's a plus matchup for Jermichael as well. Fine, knock yourself out. As for Zebo, 5400 We don't know if he's playing, and that, that price just continues to be just a little bit too high. He does play well against Orlando traditionally, but this low pace, this is where it affects it. The low pace on a guy who's priced at that you know, sort of borderline price as it is, that makes you be a bit more tentative. Surge at 6300 has been playing well, but the matchup is, is not ideal if Marcus Gasol is going to be on him at times. I don't think we'll be taking $6,300 worth of Serge Barker And Jarrell Martin is, is, a, is a punt option only if Zebo is out. Center, Bismarck Biombo, 4200 Horrible matchup against Marcus Gasol, but he is so lowly priced as a starter that you can consider it. I probably won't, though. As for Gasol at 7000 refuse to use him. I just think they're going to limit his minutes, play him like 26 or 27 in the second half of a back-to-back. I could be wrong because Fisdale's done some weird shit with Gasol's minutes lately. Um, but yeah, it's 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 too risky for me to use him. As for Nick Vucevic at 6,900, hate the matchup, hate the uncertainty with him as well. So yeah, there are some value guys there, but it's it's most of the bigger name players are, are, are not really worth the effort, I don't think. The Los Angeles, actually not the Los Angeles Clippers, the LA Clippers and the Cleveland Cavs, the marquee, marquee game of the night. The Cavs are favored by five. The total is 214 and a half. Blake Griffin should be back. He missed the last game due to rest. I don't know if the Clippers will rest anyone else. Chris Paul is the obvious candidate here or even Jamal Crawford, but we don't know at that. At this point, I'm going to assume that everyone's playing. Channing Fry on the Cavs side of things, he's questionable whether he plays or not, but this is not really impacting your DFS lineups. At point guard, Kyrie is at 7,400, and there is a dearth of these mid-priced point guards on the slate. At 7,400, I can't 100% get behind it when he's matched up against Chris Paul, so he's probably a fade in a lot of cases. Chrissy Paul at 9,100, he had a monster triple-double against Brooklyn, almost 60 points in that game. The Kyrie matchup is very positive. I, I I like Chris Paul in certain situations, not in every one, but he's got a much more favorable matchup than what Kyrie does having to go up against Paul himself. Austin Rivers at 3,600. Actually been putting up okay numbers lately. Just, there's no way you want to use it, though. Same with Ray Felton. Shooting guard, J.R. Smith. Man, at some point, something has to happen. He's averaging 12 points over the last five. He's at 3,700. In a tournament, he could easily drop 30. But the way he's playing at the moment, I don't, I don't have faith in that at all. Jamal Crawford at 3,800. Don't hate that either, but it's, that is clearly just a, a tournament play as well, and J.J. Redick is not someone I'm interested in at 4,300. If I'm taking a punt on someone, I'll take Smith or or uh, or Crawford and spend that, not extra, that five or $600 less than Redick, who's a, a similar player to those two guys. Small forward, obviously, LeBron, 9,700. I think LeBron will be will be fine here. I think Le, you know, LeBron, Luke Marmute, is he slowing down LeBron? Probably not much. I think you can get 45 out of LeBron without him really having to, to raise too much of a sweat. 
as for Marmute, Wes Johnson, Dick Jefferson, Mick Dunleavy, I don't think we'd be using any of those guys. Power forward, Mo Spates, he's more a blowout specialist. Kevin Love, he's priced at 8300 Yeah, look, probably not the right matchup to use him either. He's been solid, but 8300 yeah, pushing it in terms of the price. Uh, Blakey Griffin, on the other hand, he's at 9000 I think that I think that Blake is looking for a 40-plus point performance here. So he's uh, he's on my radar, definitely, if you're looking to spend up at the power forward position. But if you're spending up at any position, to me, it's small forward with Durant and LeBron or even point guard with, with say, Steph or, uh, or Chrissy Paul. They're, they're the positions I reckon. Spending up is probably the best way to go. Centers, Tristan Thompson is at 5,000. Absolutely fine to use him at that price. Get your 25 points and be happy with it. 7,000 for DeAndre. He had a big one against Brooklyn, getting 49.1 points. Um, hasn't historically done well against the Cavs and Tristan Thompson. Hasn't historically done all that well this season, just in general, with his DFS numbers. At 7,000 with a $300 price rise on that, I'm not... Yeah, I, I can see it, but I don't think he will sneak his way into uh, any of my lineups. The next game, the Miami Heat and the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are favored by 10 We've got a low 189 total, and we've got Rod Hood, who is questionable with that hamstring issue that he suffered. There's not really much fantasy value in this game at all. Goran Dragic at 6,800. It's too highly priced on FanDuel for my liking going up against this Utah team. I don't mind Georgie Hill, though. His salary has dropped by 500 bucks. He's at 6,300, and he did have a stinker in the last game. I think that you're getting 30 out of Hill is not a big stretch whatsoever in this matchup. So I would, I would consider using Georgie Hill. Tyler Johnson with a big game today. With all the injuries at 4,800, I think you definitely have to look at Tyler Johnson. You can consider using him. The matchup's terrible. The, the pace is terrible. But Johnson is someone to consider in certain spots. Shooting guard, Rod Hood at 5,300. What well, we don't know if he's playing, so he's a pass. 4,000 for Wayne Ellington? Sure. He had, obviously, a 34-pointer today. That's massive. At 4,000, eh, maybe. Matchups, but not great. The opportunity's there again for him, though. So in a, in a tournament, I can totally see it. You know what? Even in a cash game, I don't hate using Wayne Ellington, but he is almost as streaky as they come. So that puts a little bit of risk in my mind. Scooter Magruder, he just doesn't get it done. Small forward, Joe Johnson, no thanks. If, if Hood is out, Joe Ingles would be the guy. He's a minimum salary player. Last time that Hood missed, I think he played 30 minutes or so and put up a pretty big performance. He is the tournament punt if Hood happens to be out. Gordy Hayward's at 7,600. I, li- I like that here. Um, yeah, who- Who's shutting him down? Luke Babbitt? I think at 7,600, you should be able to get 35 points out of Gordy Hayward without too much danger. And 4,500 for James Johnson. Um, tournament, yeah, look, he had 34 today, but he's a little bit up and down. But I, I still think that he should be able to get 30 and put up some defensive numbers. Power forwards, Trey Lyles, Luke Babbitt, Boris Diaw, Josh McRoberts. If you roster one of those guys and win money, let me know. At center, Hassan Whiteside has been flying. He's averaging 47 points across the last three. He had 55 today. But the problem is he goes up against Rudy Gobert, and that really is bothersome to me. He struggled in the past against Gobert or struggled to get this sort of value. So I would look at Whiteside in a tournament, but I would be scared shitless about using him in cash games. I just I cannot have the trust of centers going up against Gobert and being able to return that value. As for Gobert, he's at 7,100. He's been exceeding that value lately. Centers against Whiteside have been doing very well. So Gobert is, is in the mix. He's a, he's a definite option to me at 7,100. 
but his, his ceiling's probably not as high as a guy like what Whitesides is. Jeff Withy, Willie Reed, yeah, I'd, good luck with those guys. The last game of the night is a monster. It is the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors, and I say it's a monster because it's got a total of 230 points. That's huge. The Warriors are also favored by 10, which is a little bit of a concern. Now, this is the first of a back-to-back for Houston. The Houston Rockets put out about five different copies of game notes today. One of the ones, early ones they put out said that Nene was out due to rest, and then they started putting out all these old ones for, for games for today, for yesterday, for last week, and Nene's name was removed from injury reports. So I don't exactly know what's happening, but the fact that it's a back-to-back means that there is a risk that Nene sits out either this game or he sits out the next game. So watch that. Now, is Nene impacting much? Probably not. I think Kapal is getting his minutes irrespective of if Nene plays. It just puts Montrez Harrell in as a potential minimum salary punt option to have a look at. Point guards, Pat Beverly at 4,400. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it at that. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't love it, though. Point guards do fare okay against Steph. As for Steph at 9,200, I think you can get 40-plus out of Steph. On most cases, the Beverly factor is a, is a concern, but um, but Steph is one of those high-priced point guards that you, you can definitely look at. Shooting guard, Clay Thompson at 6,100. That's fine. I'll get my 30 points out of Clay in, in a very, very good matchup for him. Love that. James Harden at 11,300. Well, he's been a little bit depressed in what he's been doing, averaging under 50 over the last five. The high tempo here, I think Harden is a, is a decent play at that price, but there are other there are other shooting guards who are a little bit better in terms of Giannis at that extra $1,000 that's in, that's in your pocket. Eric Gordon's been playing well. He's at 5,000. I don't really think that he's uh, he's worth investing in in this matchup, though. Pat McCaw and Ian Clark, they're not going to get it done. Small forwards, Trev Ariza at 5,200. Not for me. Not not when you're matching up against Kevin Durant. And as for Durant at 10,200, sure. 48 points, 50 points. Let's get it done. Iggy had a good game in the last game, but I don't think that's really reliable. And Sammy Decker played well, too, but this is not the uh, not the time for Decker. Power forwards, Draymond's at 7,700. This is really going to depend on your site, depending on what he's priced at and, and the way they do the scoring. On FanDuel, I, I don't I don't mind it. I also don't love it. I don't think Ryan Anderson's having any impact on him, and I don't think we should be even looking at Ryan Anderson at 4,400. He is going to get eaten by Draymond Green. 7,700 for Draymond. Back to him, though. He's had a pretty decent record against Houston, so that makes me be decently confident about him. His recent form doesn't, but I think you can expect 36 out of Draymond at least and and be okay with using him. Dave West, we're not going to be considering. At center, well, Nene, we don't know if he's playing, but he wouldn't be a guy anyway. JaVale, Zaza, neither of those guys, but the guy you want to look at is Clint Capella. Centers do have issues against the Warriors at times, but Capella's a guy that, with his athleticism, he can switch. He can switch onto Steph. He can switch out onto guards and not be embarrassed. He does have that ability. Um, he's been getting 30 minutes a night. He's at 5,900. I think that that's fine, and you should be expecting 30 points out of Clint Capella. I think he has more of an issue playing against a guy like Gobert than than a team like the Warriors who might go small, because he does have that athleticism to, to move around it and to be quick on his feet and to be up and down and out in the perimeter and have quick hands and all that sort of stuff. So I do like Clint Capella at 5,900. All right, let's look at the picks of the day now before we wrap this up. On Fangio, we've got at shooting on oh no, a point guard DJ Augustin at 3700, which firms in more if Lord Alfred is out. Georgie Hill at 63 and Steph at 9200. Bit more tournamenty for Steph. 
Shooting guards, Wes Matthews, 47. Clay, 61. And Giannis at 10,300. Small forwards, Troy Williams, 37. The Pencil, 61. And Kevin Durant, 10,200. Power forwards, Jermichael Green, 44, assuming no Zebo, which we'll assume. Jabari at 64. And Blakey Griffin at 9,000. And the centers, Cody Zeller, 46. Clint Capella, 59. And Hassan Whiteside, tournament mode against Gobert at 8,700. DraftKings, Darren Williams at 4,000. Much happier using him at 4,000 than his FanDuel price. Kyrie's at 74. The format of DraftKings suits him a bit better. And Giannis at 9,900. Shooting guard, 3,000. Wayne Ellington, absolutely fine. Minimum salary. FanDuel, you compare it, 4,000. Not not as keen. Nick Batum, 64. And Jim Harden, 12,000. For the uh, for the small forwards, Boyan Bogdanovich at 41. Tournament play. Jabari, 61. And LeBron at 93. Power forwards, Jermichael, 45. Frank Kaminsky, 5,000, and Durant, 10,200. And the centers, Greggy Munro, 39, Clint Capella, 57, and Hassan Whiteside, 8,200. Let's move on to the Aussie sites now. Moneyball, Augustine, minimum salary, 35. Dragic, 6,000, and Curry, 89. For the shooting guards, Tone Allen, 35. Fournier at 5,400, and Harden at 11,200. Small forward, Shawnee Kilpatrick, 49. Much, much more appealing price. Gordy Hayward, 68, and Giannis at 10,000 on the nose. Power forwards, Zeller, 41, of the Cody variety. Draymond, 74, and Blakey Griff at 8,300. And the centers, Greggy Munro, 41, Clinty Capella, 58, and Whiteside with the tournament again, 8,600. Draft stars, Andy Harrison, 5,000, minimum. Kilpatrick, 7,950, and Chrissy Paul, 16,350. Shooting guards, Wayne Ellington, minimum, 5,000. Boyan Bogdanovich, 81 in a tournament, and Jimmy Harden, 23,750. Small forwards, Troy Williams, minimum 5,000. Tony Allen, 74, and Giannis Adetokounmpo, 19,4. Power forwards, Jim Johnson, 5,500. Frank the Tank at 8,050, and Lovey at 14,7. For the centers, Johnny Henson, 61. Clinty Capella, 12,4. And of course, the Hassan Whiteside tournament punt at 14,7. We're done in today's podcast, guys. Jeez, it was a long one. Didn't realize we were going for that long. I apologize for the extra droniness of my voice. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. Follow Basketball Monster at BaskMonster. Check out the site, which is BasketballMonster.com, and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network, which you can subscribe to on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Google. Leave us a review. It is always very much appreciated. Check out my piece if you are a Basketball Monster member on the change in usage rates and how that affects players' rankings so that you don't 100% buy into the narrative of usage, meaning an absolute increase in fantasy value. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Why Leonard?